0: So today we're uh, finishing our series through Song of Songs. Uh, so this is the very last last one in this uh, pretty short book. So we've been six weeks in it. Um, so I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you have included um, a book that is real and raw, and uh, that that really enters uh, the human experience, that you don't shy away from things, um, but you tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth uh, to us uh, in your word as you've revealed it. And, and that you've written these things for our instruction, that we would know how to live wisely in this world that you've made. Uh, Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom. We ask that uh, you would allow us to understand your word this morning, that it would breathe life into us the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today I want to talk about love. Who am I kidding? We've been in Song of Solomon for six weeks. Of course that's what we're doing, right? That's all we've been talking about it seems like. Um, but uh, what is love? I think I think when, we, when we're looking at that question, we're pondering that question, um, a lot of us have just varied, varied experiences about uh, what love is. Uh, We've had often bad experiences where uh, we found out the hard way what love isn't, what love is not. Um, Maybe a a relationship that didn't work out and you have quite a bit of heartache, you suffered heartbreak, Um, a marriage that didn't work out, or we've been hurt by a a close friend uh, who has uh, betrayed us, and so we have hurt from that, or we've experienced... Betrayal. So ha- have you been there before? Have you ever been in that place of, of heartache, of knowing what love is not? I've been there. I know what that feels like. I think everybody in this room has had some measure of that. And uh, a huge reason why so many of us have experienced um, the harsh realities of what love isn't is because we or, or others that we're involved with have all followed con- conventional wisdom about where, where to find true love, where to look, how to get it. We follow conventional wisdom. Uh, our King Solomon or our wise sage that we listen to is really the entertainment industry. I mean, that's our cue. So we have uh, from rom- rom-coms and Nicholas Sparks uh, books and movies like The Notebook uh, to all the uh, shows that we uh, binge watch on Amazon Prime or, if we pay for it, Netflix. Um, And and, and a lot of that shapes our ideas of of what love is. And what we hear over and over again are shallow pictures of love. They're not very thick pictures. They're not very honest pictures. They're visions of love that look great on television, but they really hurt if we try them ourselves. It's almost like there should be a disclaimer, like before you watch Love Stories, it says, like, don't try this at home, you know? Like, you will suffer heartbreak. <laughs> you will be an emotional wreck. Your life will really be bad. Don't do it. Um, but, but love is something that, that Hollywood will never really teach us about. Hollywood's never going to really get that right. Uh, the Night at the Roxbury doesn't quite get it. Love is, is more than, uh, uh, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more, right? It's it's well, that's not quite it, right? Just don't hurt me isn't really a good picture of love. That um, sounds like an abusive relationship that you wouldn't want to be ten foot, you know, you wouldn't want to be close to that, right? Um, so that's not that's not quite it. Uh, so to be honest, though, I don't I don't think the church quite gets it either. Um, a lot of churches will refuse to even preach through the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs out of out of fear for what what the contents contain, um, you know, and, and so so. Um, Some people have, have, um, quite a few people have actually left the church because they're really tired of the church always telling them what not to do. Just another thing I'm not supposed to do. So um, that's usually what's communicated about um, sex because uh, we're not honest with what the scriptures teach. And so we need a a robust picture of what love is, and I want to focus on uh, just the last, you know, final six things about love that we see at the end of this book. Um, this last section kind of just summarizes everything that's gone before. Um, and so it's a, it's a, it'll give us a good picture of what love is. So what is love? First, love is a commitment. Love is commitment. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 5. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Uh, notice real quick, that's the same phrase that we heard. Who is this coming up? That was back in chapter 3, verse 6. So it's the same thing. Repetition, right? There it is again. Uh, who is that coming up? It's referring to the woman again. Um, except now she's what? She's leaning on her man. right? She's like, she's got him. <laughs> she's with her man. And, and, and she's coming up into the city from the wilderness. Entering the city with her husband by her side. Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she she who bore you was in labor. Verse six. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death; jealousy is fierce as the grave. And so, the first thing that we learn about love is that love is a commitment. Love says in public what happens in private. This man and this woman, they they shared wedding vows. They've shared their bodies, and now they share life together publicly. And she uses. Um, the language of a seal. A seal uh, was an imprint on another object, uh, like signing a document to legalize something or um, like stamping wax onto a document to, 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 to seal the, the legal document, saying that she wants to be sealed on his heart and sealed on his arm. Two places. And, and um, for the Hebrews uh, to be sealed on the heart, the heart is the, the innermost part. Of your identity, it's, it's really who you are, the sum. So it's not really the heart, like us, where us moderns like where we're pointing. You know, it's 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 really it's it's getting at your entire being. So she wants to be sealed in such a way with him that that they share an identity, um, and then and then worn on his arm so others can see that they belong together. Um, I mentioned a quote last week by uh, Tim and Kathy Keller about people. Who say that they love you and they don't want to put a ring on it, and they don't want to um, deal with the documents? Right? I love you so much, but let's not do all that you know silly wedding stuff, and let's just be together. And um, a person who's not willing to do that for you doesn't truly, fully love you enough to close the door to other options. Uh, so don't buy into non-committal love. Um, and the reason for this is uh, because true love gets gets jealous for what is mine, right? That's, that's what the, the commitment really means. Uh, true love will fight for a lover and, and will refuse to let him or her go. As she says, for love is strong as death. I mean, you can't really overturn reverse death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. I mean, we often think of, of jealousy as a bad thing. Jealousy is like, you don't want to be jealous, But um, in the case of a a committed relationship, jealousy is the assertion that I am yours and you are mine. And no one else gets to be part of this inner circle, right? This is ours. This is our space. No one else can be in it. Um, It's what makes John Legend's All of Me chorus so beautiful. Because all of me loves all of you. Loves your curves and all your edges. Loves your perfect imperfections. I give you all of me. Right? That, right? Anybody hear that one? That, it's so beautiful. Not when I sing it. But when John Legend sings it, man, it melts me. Uh, and, and it's what makes our relationship with God so special too. Um, God, God loves us too much to let us bow down to false idols. God loves us too much to have us handed over to what will hurt us. So love is a commitment second thing we learn about love is that love is passionate. So I want to reread uh, verse 5b where she says, she says, under the apple tree I, I, I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. And this talks about love being woken up. Um, you know, all this time in this, this song, uh, it was, you know, don't, wake, don't awaken love before it's time. And now we're seeing, now it's woke. Now it's awake. Um, and she's talking about an apple tree. When she says apple tree, what she's talking about is sex. And, 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 and talking about his mother and labor and giving birth, that's the link between sex and fertility, procreation. And so in, in ancient mythology, um, the gods would actually uh, give birth under apple trees. Like That was like a known thing. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what you're talking about, like giving birth, fertility, like gods of fertility. And so, so that's a deliberate reference to this. And she goes on in verse 6. Uh, the second part of verse 6, it, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of, of Yah, the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. And so we see that, that passionate, fiery love is linked to God himself. This is um, interesting. So God is the source of love and sex. He's the giver of it, the creator of it. And, and, and in this song, this is the very first time and the only time that the name of God is mentioned in the whole book. Um, this is the one place it shows up, right when it's talking about passion, and the, the, the fire, the very flame of, the, of Yah. And, and it's, it's, um, it's not the full name of God. Uh, normally, you see Yah, Yahweh, Yahweh. Um, this is just Yah. <laughs> um, Yah. So, uh, passionate love is linked to God. I, I don't think many people whether you're inside the church or outside of the church, associate or think about God when they're thinking about sex. Am I wrong? What do you think? I don't think so. Uh, In his letters and papers from prison uh, during World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor, German pastor and theologian, he wrote this. He said, I believe we're so to love God in our life and in the good things God gives us and to lay hold of such trust in God that when the time comes and is here, but truly only then, we also go to God with love, trust, and joy. But to say it clearly, that a person in the arms of his wife should long for the hereafter is, to put it mildly, tasteless and in any any case is not God's will. One should find and love God in what God directly gives us. If it pleases God to allow us to enjoy an overwhelming earthly happiness, then one shouldn't be more pious than God and allow this happiness to be gnawed away through arrogant thoughts and challenges and wild religious fantasy that's never satisfied with what God gives. And he, he says this, he says, God will not fail the person who finds his earthly happiness in God and is grateful. From Prison writes that, reflecting... Probably on his uh, engagement to his fiance. Uh, but in short, uh, it's no sin to enjoy some of the satisfaction in this world uh, that, that, that this world does have to offer because it's receiving a gift from God. Um, Proverbs says, A good wife is far more precious than jewels. Proverbs 31. So we're, we're, enjoy, we're to enjoy God's good gifts to us and give Him thanks for them. It's not ungodly to delight in the gifts He gives. But look at how else it's described. Uh, love is a fire and a flood. Like uh, artist uh, Vance Joy. Anybody ever heard Vance Joy? No? Some people. I got some, some, some heads nodding. Maybe this will uh, get you thinking about that uh, songs he sings. But you're the fire and the flood. And I'll always feel you in my blood. Everything is fine when your heart is resting. Next line, next no, I can't do it, but he does it so well. It's so beautiful. This aspect is, is not one that's, that's hard to accept. Um, um, we, don't, we don't have a hard time accepting passion and, and the fire and the flood of love. Like That's not hard for us. But the cultural ideal of love is that love is romance only. So we want guys to be hopeless romantics. Right? We... Uh, Part of the reason I think that the Twilight Saga was so amazing and captured the hearts of so many American girls all across, you know, every, in every state, everywhere, right, years ago, why it, why it was so popular is uh, it was good old-fashioned romance. It was. Uh, the guy loved the girl more than himself and his own desires. That's why Edward won, right? Edward beat Jacob. Sorry if you were on Team Jacob. Edward was the winner so sorry about that but he was the one ready to wait for his bella and ready to to die for his bella um but where we go wrong with this whole romance thing is we make romance everything right with love it's all passion and nothing else it's all hot romance it's all fire it's all flood nothing else and so we make it the the end all be all our idol our god if you don't believe me why is it that when um if, if someone has not been romantically involved for years, we have a tendency to just make fun of the person. Oh, you haven't been involved? How many years is that? Three years? Five years? What? Forty years? What? You know, um, uh, why, why do the movies shame people for not uh, having sex? Why is, uh, why is iGen, an up-and-coming you know, the cur- current generation, uh, why, are, why are they being shamed right now for not being as sexually active as previous generations? New York Times, Wall Street Journal, whatever you want to read. It's all, it's all there. It's all, all that research is coming out. And so, 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 so we worship in the bedroom like Hosier's famous song, Take Me to Church, says, where the only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you. We've idolized passionate romance. And the problem is this, this passion becomes everything. Feelings are everything. And so when that passion level drops and is not as high, it's time to look somewhere else right? Find the next fire and the next flood to enjoy. But true love is unquenchable. You can get it back. Love is passionate. That passion can continue. Uh, and, and that's what we're seeing unfold here. Um, so we saw that love's a, a, a commitment. Love is passionate. The third thing is that love is priceless. You really can't buy love. And Paul McCartney and John Lennon, they were on to something. The Beatles, they were on to something, right? Can't buy me love. Love. Can't buy me love. money can't buy me love, right? That's a good one. Oh, good one. Great songs. Um, money can't buy, buy me love. And, and you can't sell it either. Love is love. It's without price. So uh, chapter 8, verse 7. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house he would be utterly despised. See, can't buy me love. <laughs> as true as that is, though, uh, when we look around uh, at, at the world today, um, even if we look at our own city, uh, we see a lot of the tragic reality is that we still think that we can buy love, that, that, that love can be bought. Um, whether that's uh, jewelry or a car or, you know, fancy house or whatever it is to impress the girl, um, that, that kind of thing, or... or um, the kind of darker realities around us with human trafficking. Um, according to the FBI, our city is the 13th highest uh, trafficking area in the region, San Diego, um, which is, you know, no small thing. And, and people are trying to buy love there, literally um, paying for, for that. And, and, and for free, people buy and consume uh, pornography uh, by watching it and giving approval of it by doing that, keeping the demand high so the supply chain keeps coming uh, that hurts women and children, porn's not harmless. It's harmful. And uh, watching it for free still means someone gets paid for making it. So that's all dark, I know that, but the, the human heart is sinful and dark. We live in a world where something as powerful and, and as beautiful as love is perverted and twisted and used for the wrong ends, the wrong means, where love is commercialized, it's sold. And the song is saying, it's wisdom literature, it's telling us love can't be bought, it can't be purchased, don't look to places that are advertising that it can. Love resists the temptation of, of money or whatever else. And so love is a commitment, love is passionate, love is priceless, and forth. Love is satisfying. This is the fourth thing. Love is satisfying. Now, now the brothers, um, the brothers return in the song. At this point, maybe some, some of you remember the brothers at the beginning of the story, right? They were the ones that that told our our woman in the story to um, go work in the. They kind of forced her actually to go work out in the vineyards. That's why she said, "My skin's dark," right? Because. Uh, she wasn't able to be part of the beauty pageant like all the other girls usually are, and so she, her skin was kind of scorched from being um, working long hours out in the sun. And um, I, I want to point out again um, that, that at, this, at this point in the song, the last, you know, uh, almost nine verses, um, everyone who appeared in the whole song comes out again. So it's kind of like, uh, if you've ever, ever been to a play, anybody been to a play before? So you go to a play, and what happens at the very end, Right? So like everybody comes out and they, right, take a bow. Like, thank you, thank you very much. All the different characters, and they're still in costume usually, and what the, the main character they were, unless it was a single play and there were like 50 characters, and I don't know how they do that. They wear a bunch of hats and stuff. I don't probably not. I haven't been to a play like that, but. Um, so, so everyone comes out, or, or like a symphony, with all the different voices, um, all telling us what love really is. And so the brothers say in, in verse 8, we have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she's spoken for? In verse nine, if she's a wall, we'll build on her a battlement of silver. But if she's a door, we'll enclose her with boards of cedar. Now I'm not gonna lie; it's really hard to read that with a straight face. Okay, it is. It's it's hard. It shouldn't be because in, in Hebrew, it's, there's nothing comedic about it. Uh, they're just saying they have a sister who's immature and too young, and she's not ready to get married yet. That's all it really is. So it shouldn't be that funny. But she's not ready for marriage. She should wait. And and what's interesting is that at at first sight, it looks like these brothers are after her best interests. And they're doing this out of their own, um, looking out for their little sister. But when you look a little bit closer, it's not her interests that they have in mind. It's their their own interests. They're after the dowry that comes in exchange for a bride. Like, Notice no, what it says. You know, if, if this is her problem, we're going to build a battlement of silver on her. So they'll put silver on her to attract a suitor who will buy her. And so they've caved to what we were just talking about earlier, this idea that love can be bought, that love is commercialized. I think verse 8 points us back to Verse 7 and then ahead to verse 11, which we're going to get to in a second, where, where a 1,000 pieces of silver are mentioned. I think the song wants us to, to see this contrast between Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom, like the Proverbs teach us. wants us to see that there's, there's two different ways to go. Um, remember, the Song of Solomon is, is in the genre of, of wisdom literature. It's meant to teach us how to live God's way in God's world. And it wants us to see that temptations abound. There are plenty of times in your life when you're offered something that looks like love or it says it will deliver on what it promises. Buy this, look at this, look like this, do this, and then you'll be happy. What are you looking to right now to find satisfaction in that's promising something for you? What is it that's dangling out in front of you right now that that you're hoping is going to be it? This song, like I said, is a lot like Proverbs, where chapter 7 compares Lady Folly to to Lady Wisdom. In chapter 8, Lady Folly is this seductress, a temptress, but Wisdom knows what love looks like. And so to the brothers, our woman responds, and she says this, verse 10, I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. So she recognizes that that's who she was. Like what they say about her was true. But when she fell in love, she became somebody new. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. See, love is satisfying. Love has that, it puts a pep in your step. It changes things. And so she's confident, she feels complete. Where the the brothers try to point out her shame, right? This little sister of ours your breasts are too small, you're not ready. Here, let's dress you up and give you to the highest bidder. Look at what love did to this this woman. It gives her bold confidence knowing now who she is. Instead of shame, she's someone who offers peace. No longer ashamed. I find that uh, some amazing commentary on how the love of God changes us. How the gospel changes us. That love does change everything. That... That right where the law comes at me and shows me my shame, Nick, you haven't measured up here and here and here and here. You haven't done this, 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 and this. That's exactly where the gospel comes in and says, it is finished. I've done this. You are precious in my eyes, and I love you. The love of God in Christ for a sinner changes us from being and feeling naked and ashamed and puts clothes on us where we have no more shame and we're accepted. In Christ, when God looks at us, we no longer feel shame. But we're like this woman. We're we're one who has found peace and who offers peace to others. It's a pretty cool picture. Fifth, love is exclusive. Uh, What surfaces now at the end of the song is is this contrast between this life of luxury and and wealth and the finer things, comfort with King Solomon. And then biblical marriage between one man and one woman. So, verse 11. Solomon had a, a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. So, Baal Haman, it, it literally means uh, husband of a crowd. Husband of a, of a crowd. In 2 Chronicles chapter 11, we read Solomon had a son who had a crowd, a Haman, of wives, and he gave those wives to his sons. Solomon had a thousand lovers. And he, uh, he paid others thou- a thousand pieces of silver to manage all the women. So what it's saying here is Solomon fully embodies the commercialization of love. That you can buy love. Love is simply romance. It's feeling. Love is something that can be bought and sold. Love is something that you can have plenty of. Love with enough women is satisfying. And yet, In all of that, we see the opposite is true in every single one of those categories. The woman recognizes God's wisdom. And so she says in verse 12, My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit 200. It's like, no thanks, Solomon. I see your life and I don't want it. (laughs) My beloved is mine and I am his. Right? It's like back to that same refrain that we've seen all throughout this series. This exclusive love that she wants to maintain and keep and enjoy. Finally, the last thing we learn about love is that love is unfinished, yet unending. Love is unfinished, yet unending. So the song closes like this. The man says, verse 13, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. And just as the song started uh, with the voice of the woman, now it ends... With her voice being the last words, she says, "Verse fourteen. Make haste, my beloved. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices." And that's it. It's over. It ends just like that. There's no. Uh, and they, they lived happily ever after, and they go off in the sunset. There's no sailing on that beautiful sea, you know, with Gandalf and Frodo and all that, you know, like when they're they're going and they're going to go to the sea. You know, and in the elvish lands, I forget what those are called. Come on, no Lord of the Rings nerds, come on. There it is. The picture of their love, though, that we get is unfinished. It's not complete, it's not done. And, and the reality is, in every human relationship, there always remains unfinished business. Um, I never got to say goodbye is a constant refrain that I hear from people who are grieving the loss of loved ones. Never got to say goodbye. Um, even if we get the chance to say goodbye, then there's unresolved things. There's unfinished business. Past conflict or hurt, a longing to have done more with the person. I wish we got to do this. I wish he or she were here. So in this, in this song, we don't know, right? So it, it literally, it cuts off. So we don't know how many more years they had together. How many more anniversaries they celebrated? How many other celebrations they had? How many kids they had, right? We don't even know if they had kids. It just ends. The story is over. Love is unfinished. There's no happy ending, yet there's no sad ending. It just just finishes. The song ends abruptly as if unfinished. It's unresolved. It's like the the movie that ends and has you going, "What?" Right? It's like, I sat here for two and a half hours, and I got to the end of the film, and what? It just ended? Like, no, there has to be closure. There has to be something. Give me a little bit more. Maybe I'm going to wait until the end credits are over. Birdman was like that for me. Birdman got a ton of awards at Oscars, I think it was. Got a ton of awards. So I watched it, and it was awful. It was like, it just ends. Sorry, spoiler alert, if you didn't see it. It just ends. And, and you're going, what? I, w- I want to see more. Um, the story, though, uh, this song, it ends like this because it is unfinished. The story that we've seen, uh, chapter by chapter, we've seen that every, uh, at the end of the day, this whole story, it, it focuses on a, a truer and a better and an everlasting marriage that isn't over yet. Then we're waiting for the story to end even now. When Jesus returns in the groom, Jesus is forever married to his bride, the church. Um, what's amazing about Song of Solomon is, especially going through it this time of year, you know Thanksgiving's over, so if you haven't had your Christmas tree up yet or any Christmas decorations, now you can, right? Um, Advent is 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 here now. It's the season of Advent. So what's cool about this uh, Song of Solomon is is it ends on this note of waiting for Jesus to come. Essentially, it ends on this this tension, this unresolved um, season of waiting. And, and we're waiting for Jesus to come. So, so love might be unfinished, but it's unending. If you find yourself waiting for Jesus, if you find yourself falling in love with Jesus today, then love for you will never end. This is the song that never ends. I got the song from Lamb Chop stuck in my head all week because of that. Right? So don't miss this, you know, this is the song that never ends. Yes, it goes on and on again. Some people start it. You know, that, that song, that was stuck in my head all week because the song never ends. So don't miss this point. This love story will never end for you. See, the real place that we see love as strong as death is at the cross. Love is strong as death, and yet love, Christ's love for you is stronger still. His love for you overcame death, swallowed death, as Paul puts it in in, in 1 Corinthians, or as uh, uh, John Owen once put it, it was the death of death. And so whenever you doubt whether God really loves you, whether God really minds you, pays attention to you, cares for you, turn back to, to verses like Isaiah 49, 16, where he says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, your walls are continually before me. In Jesus, we know for a fact that his love for you is written on his hands. Jesus bears the scars forever on his, of his sacrificial and his costly love for you on his hands and his feet. Here, right here, I've sealed my love for you, my beloved. Here on my hands. Look at my feet. On the palms of my hands, there's a reminder forever of his love for you. It's a love stronger than death. It's a love that will not let you go. And his song for you will never, ever end. It's a song that never ends.